Good evening. Uh, please let me introduce my Dharma friend, Myon Susan Hagler, who zooms in tonight uh, from uh, Minnesota, where she says it's 105 degrees. And uh, uh, Myon was an early student of Katagiri Roshi and uh, Actually, when Catherine was, was there for a few years in the mid 80s, uh, they practiced together. And Myoen just showed me uh, the wedding present that Catherine gave to her in, in the mid 80s, <laughs> a book of Dogen. <laughs> so nothing says I love you like Dogen. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but uh, so Mion comes to us with many years of practice. She was ordained by Tim Burkett and um, Minnesota Zen Center and Dokai Georgeson at Hokyoji and uh, a, a given Dharma transmission by, uh, by uh, Reverend <clears throat> Georgeson. So thank you very much for zooming in Mion and uh, this is a part of our Santa Cruz group, and uh, we look forward to meeting you tonight. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. I, I was surprised and delighted when you invited me to talk. I, I haven't really talked to groups. Well, I talked to my friend's group in Colorado, but I've never talked to most groups outside of Minnesota. So this is a treat for me too. So, yeah. So as Patrick said that, you know, I, I, I got to know Catherine a, a bit in about 1984 or 85, that, at the time, there were difficulties happening at San Francisco Zen Center, and San Francisco Zen Center was trying to woo Katagiri Roshi back to their place. And we in Minnesota weren't too happy about that. So, <laughs> but as a consolation prize, during their wooing, they sent us Catherine, and, it, and she was a true gift to us. And I very much cherish having had the afternoon to practice with her and become friendly with her. And I, I know she, she uh, practiced for a long time, and she loved people in Minnesota and in California, and I'm sure she's dearly missed. So much gratitude to Catherine. I'd like to talk tonight about the title of my talk is Beyond Saying Yes, Being Yes. And this came from a meeting that the teacher group at Clouds and Waters Zen Center that's in St. Paul, where I, I am part of the group there. Um, we have 
regular meetings. And at this particular meeting, the person moderating said, I'd like everyone to tell, to tell us all what you're working on. And I said, oh, I better come up with something quick. What am I working on? And, and actually this came to mind and it wasn't hard for me for this to come to mind of the idea of not just going along to get along by saying yes, but to really be embracing what it is that we're doing with our whole hearts. And what, is it, what it means to me is that when things arise, whether they're good things or difficult things, instead of turning away or pushing away or getting too attached is to just take care of it with a, a yes and just to take care of what arises in any moment. And that can be very practical things. Like last night, I was looking around my household and I saw a sink full of dishes and I said, those dishes are beckoning me. I bet they would like me to wash them. So, yes, I will. I will wash these dishes. And it, instead of saying, oh, I can wait to wash these dishes till the morning, nothing will happen. But, but there's something not quite right with leaving dishes overnight. So I just took care of what arose in front of me. A big part of what saying yes and being yes to me is getting myself out of the way. I think so much of our lives we, we procrastinate and we don't take care of what needs to be taken care of. And I can say, so uh, I think like uh, many people during COVID and maybe some before, but particularly during COVID, I, I kind of started eating too much. And so I've gained too much weight. And I, I'm giving the partially I'm giving this talk because Patrick heard me give a talk like this online. And that's where the invitation arose from, I believe. And so, but after I gave that talk, I looked at what I was doing to myself by eating and not nurturing myself, but just eating and eating. And in some way I wasn't saying yes to myself. I was saying, no, I'm just gonna let it go. And the pounds might, might add on to my body, but what's it matter? And then I gave this talk and I said, yes, Yes, it's really, really time 
to get myself out of the way and to take care of my body, which is part of my heart. And so since that time, I've been really mindful about what I'm eating and I'm getting away from the emotional aspects of, of eating in an unwholesome way. And so I, my, my teacher, Dokai, has often said when he gives a Dharma talk, he's giving it to himself. And if other people benefit, that's pretty good too. And so I really was giving this talk to myself, saying, yes, I can. Yes, yes. So part of my talk tonight, I have really gotten to love this book called Radical Acceptance by Tara Brack. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with Tara Brack, but she's a wonderful teacher and I really recommend her. But she's has this... Um, Rain, rain, I don't know if I call it a technique, but a way to look at ourselves. And it's an acronym that I think stands for respond, or recognize, accept, investigate, and nurture. But that's not in this book, but that's some of her other teaching that I think she's well known for. So this, I'm gonna read a little bit from her book. And this section is called Inviting Mara to Tea, the Practice of Saying Yes. Some years ago, in the middle of a week-long Vipassana retreat, I found myself swamped in negativity. I reacted with aversion to every facet around me. The teachers were talking too much. The cold, cloudy weather was disappointing. My fellow meditators were inconsiderately sneezing in my direction, and I had an irritating sinus infection myself. Nothing was going right, especially me. Tired of the aversion, I decided that instead of resisting everything, I would agree to everything. I began to greet whatever arose in my awareness with silently whispered, yes. Yes to the pain in my leg. Yes to the blaming thoughts. Yes to the sneezes and the irritation and the gloomy gray sky. At first, my yes was mechanical, grudging, and insincere. But even so, each time I said it, I can feel something relax in me. Before long, I started to play around with it, reflecting that I, like the Buddha, was inviting Mara to tea. I intended not only to accept what I was feeling, but to actively welcome it. I began to offer the yes with a softer, more friendly tone. I even smiled from time to time. My whole drama started to seem silly. My body and mind grew steadily lighter and more open. Even the pressure in my sinuses began to ease up. 
the dark cloud of no was replaced by the expansive sky of yes that had an endless room for grouchiness and irritation. Critical comments continued to arise, and with yes, they continued to pass. When my mind suggested that I was using a gimmick that wouldn't work for long, saying yes to the story allowed the thought to dissolve. I wasn't resisting anything or holding on to anything. Moods and sensations and thoughts moved through the friendly skies of radical acceptance. I felt the inner freedom that comes from agreeing unconditionally to life. I was inviting Mara to tea. And so I thought I should probably tell the story of inviting Mara to tea. There's context for this. And this story is most likely pathological, and it could be something that Tara Brack created. I'm not quite sure. I mean, it, it, it's in this book too, but I found this online. The night before his enlightenment, the Buddha fought a great battle with the demon god Mara, who attacked the then Bodhisattva Siddhartha Gautama with everything he had, lust, greed, anger, doubt, etc. Having failed, Mara left in disarray on the morning of the Buddha's enlightenment. Yet, it seems Mara was only temporarily discouraged. Even after Buddha had become deeply revered through India, Mara continued to make unexpected appearances. The Buddha's loyal attendant, Ananda, always on the lookout for any harm that might come to his teacher, would report with dismay that the evil one had again returned. Instead of ignoring Mara or driving him away, the Buddha would calmly acknowledge his presence saying, I see you, Mara. He would then invite him for tea and serve him as an honored guest, offering Mara a cushion so that he could sit comfortably. The Buddha would fill two earthen cups with tea, place them on the low table between them, and only then take his own seat. Mara would stay for a while and then go, but throughout, the Buddha remained free and undisturbed. So when we invite Mara to tea at our table, can, can we see him? Can we see? our obstructions, and how Mara is tempting us? Or do we try to push Mara away and not accept the difficulty that comes our way? Because if we can't accept the difficulty and the unwholesome things, we're never going to be able to just relax and look at our difficulties and 
invite them in and take care of them, give them some tea. And when the time comes to open the door and show them the way out and say, see you later. So that's saying yes to the things that are painful in our lives. That if we, if we just don't face our difficulties and face the hardships and face the difficult people and difficult conditions in our lives, they just stew. And the stress just gets to us and then we become ill. So it, it, it's best to, you know, take it slowly, but to say, yes, I'll, ta I'll take the time to look at this difficult thing and take care of it. I wanted to tell a couple of the stor stories, um, the old Zen stories that you guys probably are familiar with, but this one, for both of them for sure. And this one is from Hakuin. Hakuin was greatly respected and had many disciples. At one time in his life, he lived in a village hermitage close to a food shop run by a couple and their beautiful young daughter. One day, the parents discovered that their daughter was pregnant. Angry and distraught, they demanded to know the name of the father. At first, the girl would not confess, but after much harassment, she named Hopalyn. The furious parents confronted Hakuin, berating him in front of all of his students. He simply replied, is that so? When the baby was born, the family gave it to Hakuin. By this time, he had lost all of his reputation and his disciples, but Hakuin was not disturbed. He took delight in caring for the infant child. He was able to obtain milk and other essentials from the villagers. A year later, the young mother of the child was troubled by great remorse. She confessed the truth to her parents. The real father was not Hakuin, but rather a young man who worked at the local fish market. The mortified parents went to Hakuin, apologizing, asking his forgiveness for the wrong they did him. They asked Hakuin to return the baby. Although he loved the child as his own, Hakuin was willing to give him up without complaint. All he said was, is that so? Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I, I, I live in Minneapolis itself, and I guess you all know that there's been a lot of turmoil here, but excuse the silence. So 
Hakuin with this is that so just was accepting whatever came his way. But he wasn't trying to fight with the parents and say, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. And who knows what he was thinking. Perhaps he was thinking this young girl is in a, a, a lot of difficulty. It would be beneficial for me to take care of this baby. That could be something he was thinking. And so he just wasn't worried about his reputation. He was just taking care of what he saw needed to be done at the moment. And so when the parents came back to get the baby, you know, he saw that now it's time to let go and give the baby back and to perhaps regain his reputation or whatever. And, uh, you know, it seems like this could be a mythological story, but I was thinking, you know, that there's a many people, many grandparents in our society now who take in their grandchildren or babies when their own children can't take care of their children. So this is a story that happens all the time, even now, just embracing what needs to happen and doing what's most wholesome and what's most beneficial for the whole situation. Another story, which you might know too, this is a shorter one, every day, Zwigan used to call out to himself, master, and then he answered himself, yes, sir. And he added, awake, awake. And then he answered, yes, sir, yes, sir. From now onwards, do not be deceived by others. No, sir, I will not, sir. For me, the, this little vignette kind of speaks to Zuigan getting out of his own way and just standing in attention and taking care and saying, yes, I will embrace the day, yes. I will do it with awareness and awakeness. Yes. And I won't get distracted. And he says, no, sir, to that. But actually, that's a yes. That he's not going to be distracted by extraneous things that can set him on the wrong path. He just says yes. I have one more story that's my own story that I was thinking about before the talk. I was like, so when I was a young practitioner, maybe about 24 or 25, I mean, I'm in my early 60s now, 
but I was part of a Tenzo group at Minnesota Zen Center. And this is when Katagiri Roshi was still alive and I was practicing with him. And at Minnesota Zen Center, it's this big old house on a lake. And it's, you know, like a small mansion house. And the first floor of the house, the living room and dining room and kitchen were kind of the Zen center. And the living room was the Zendo and the dining room was the Buddha hall. And the kitchen obviously was the kitchen. And the Katagiri's apartment was on the second and third floor of the house. And they had a back stairway to go out of the house and out the back door to go outside. And so one day I was finishing up my Tenzo duties and I really was kind of like not wanting to be there and kind of grumbling about sweeping the floor. And down comes Roshi and he's looking at me and assessing the situation. And he looks at me with a big twinkle in his eye and he says, I feel sorry for you. And uh, he was like, oh, and I've had 40 years to, I keep mulling that story over. And what I've realized more lately, and maybe not so lately, but I realized that he was feeling sorry for me because I was not saying yes to the moment. I was not taking care of just sweeping. I was thinking about what I was gonna do when I left the Zen Center that day. I was not in a yes kind of mood. I was grumbling for being there. And he said, I feel sorry for you. And so I, I've learned a lot about just taking care of things. And I am so good at sweeping the floor now, I tell you. <laughs> I just say yes, and I, I just love sweeping the floor. So. Saying yes to the little things and the big things and the in-between things and those things that we love and those things that we don't, just, helps us suffer less if we just take care and don't get ourselves in the way. So that's about what I have to say. Thank you. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become.